Welcome to SoFlo by Lucas Millar. Lucas's latest collection of 13 short stories, ranging from the gross and silly to heart-wrenching thrillers of cosmic proportions. Join Lucas as he takes you beyond the beaches and shows you the dark side of the Sunshine State. Welcome to SoFlo, a collection of weird Florida horror by Lucas Millar. Available January 14th, 2024. Pre-order now. Brought to you by the Evil Cookie Publishing. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. It's like the fourth episode in a row that she's outshining us. With her, she's dressed to impress. There's no question I was about that. Say, unbelievable aesthetics. And Josh Roundtree, you are joining us today. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. And uh, we'll dive into this soon. But he is the author of the Legend of Charlie Fish. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk any more about that just yet. We'll get back to that for sure and dive into that. But. What got you? What got you into writing, man? Like the horror, western, crime. I mean, maybe there's more, but reel it back to whatever point in time you want. Is there a person? Are there authors? Was it your parents or someone else that really got you into saying, "Hey, this is fun"? Maybe not even that you want to do it for a living. Just I like it. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think like a whole lot of people who become writers, I've always been a reader. Uh, but yeah, I've wanted to, you know, I've been writing since I was, uh, a little kid. Uh, you know, what, I think what first got me into it is just kind of hanging out at my grandparents' bookshelves. Uh, you know, I, I was born in the early seventies. So most of my, you know, reading consciousness started in the late seventies, early eighties. And I just remember my, uh, my grandmother having all these like, you know, weird ghost books and mythology books and all kinds of spooky shit on her shelf. Uh, you know, she was a, a ghost researcher uh, at the time. And so there was always kind of like, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock collections and a bunch of that stuff. Um, and my uh, granddaddy was always handing me, um, you know, his Louis L'Amour Westerns. I probably read 50 of those before I was in middle school. I mean, I just like chew those things up like potato chips. I've always uh, loved those. Uh, so, you know, I never really, uh, never really limited kind of uh, what I was reading from genre to genre. I kind of just all uh, brought it in together and, and uh, you know, kind of dumped it into my brain. Uh, I, I would read fantasy novels, Encyclopedia Brown, uh, you know, whatever you want to want to put in there. Um, and then eventually, uh, I'm sure I'm the first person ever to say this on the show, but I discovered Stephen King. Uh, and, uh, you know, that really kind of set me uh, on a different direction. So, you know, between watching that and, and watching all the horror movies at the time, um, it, uh, it made everything I was starting to write my little stories there quite a bit darker. You know, mm. I, I got to where I would, uh, uh, you know, I was writing stories all the time when I was a kid. By the time I was in the fifth grade, I had a, a teacher who really kind of encouraged that. And she had a, um, a, you know, she let us write stories and read them in front of the class. And so, I got to where I'd write these basically slasher fanfic stories in school 
uh, where all the kids in class were, you know, being killed by my killer, uh, and, uh, everybody loved it. You know, I'm not sure if I would necessarily get away with that now, but man, it was a hit when I was a kid. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Holy shit. That's cool. Um, I feel like Candace has something to jump into, but real quick, for those that are just listening, I'm holding a Louis L'Amour Wild West. It's it just breaks down how he did the research. It's a it's an illustrated celebration of America's favorite writer of Western. And I didn't know this, but it it says he sold over 320 million copies of his books. Um, I don't know how many he had, but I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> there's got to be like north of a hundred, right? I mean, if you if you go to the used yeah. bookstore, there's, there's over a hundred so of them. And uh, I just got his own bay. <laughs> Do what? I said he's got his own bay at the used bookstore. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Uh and and I love him. I mean, he's a he's a really uh excellent uh writer. Absolutely. Uh Candace, do you want to jump in? Sure. So wow. Um you had a start a lot like mine, which is nice to hear, sort of a mixed bag of just everything you could get your hands on. Mm -hmm. Um the, the novel, the Charlie Fish, it was almost like a perfect blend of like Western in sort of like sci-fi <laughs> swamp thing meets the Wild <laughs> West almost. Wait, where, where or how did you come up with the, the idea of that particular person persona within this wild west story i guess is my first question yeah, why yeah. mix those two well so i've i've um i've always written just kind of a mix of everything i really don't often pay attention to what genre it is until i finish it so i've written a bunch of fantasy and sci-fi and dark fantasy and horror and everything else and you know my my heart kind of lies with horror more than anything, I think, but I, I mix all those in there. Um, and over the last few years, I have been writing a series of short stories. Uh, I'm, I've am i largely been a short story writer before this. I mean, I, I've written a ton of them and, and, and I love them. Um, but I've been writing a series of stories that were basically uh, what I thought of as monster stories set mm. in Texas between like 1830 and 1930. So I think of them like as my old Texas stories. And I've yeah. published a few here and I, you know, they, uh, but everyone has some sort of, uh, you know, monster in it essentially. And um, my family and I go to Galveston quite a bit for vacation and, um, I got to, you know, thinking how how could I maybe use the uh, the famous Galveston hurricane in a book? Um, and as I was thinking about monsters, I thought about the universal monsters, which I loved. And I thought, well, obviously, we need creature from the Black Lagoon to stock up out of, you know, the water and kill everybody during this hurricane. And as I started putting the uh, the idea together, I realized, oh, OK, so my monster isn't really a bad guy. He's just kind of chill and likes to hang out and, and do his thing. So um, it, it really changed from what I originally wanted it to be. But but yeah, it, it's really just kind of a part of a bigger series of stories that I've been working on. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I. I actually liked how he was written like I, I don't think how I want to word this 
I like that he wasn't your traditional monster type of creature. But yeah. I like the whole sort of supernatural element between him and the child with the whole mental communication that they had and everything. I thought that was a nice twist to where they weren't one and the same, but they could communicate a lot. Yeah. But I liked how it was more of a a feel-good type of story with the whole Wild West action and the impact and like a traditional Wild West story of, hey, we, we felt like you robbed us and we're going to come after you and take back what's ours and, you know, hunt you down. And it had all that action from the Wild West. But at its heart, though, it was just this really feel-good type of story. And I feel like he just wanted to go home. And it was just, and then the, all wrapped in with the horror of the hurricane itself, which was amazing when you add in the all the action of that and then the tension. My next question actually was going to be if you lived there or lived near there for all the research and everything that you did with that, because I've read the afterward part of that as well and how you explain like the impact of that. So I liked how you wrapped that in there too. Do some of the other short stories that you have, do they include like realistic events like that one? Or was that the first one that you like used? That was an actual like real event. Yeah, that's the first one that's set during uh, a particular historic event. Um, I, I don't live in Galveston, but I've been there many times. Uh, I've, yeah. uh, I've always uh, lived in Texas, uh, so I, you know, I said a lot of my stories there. Um, but Galveston really is just a place that that uh, you know we enjoy visiting, and and if you're there enough, you start to pick up a lot of the history of that storm. Uh, and there's a really excellent book for anyone interested in that called Isaac Storm by Eric okay. Larson. It's kind of a narrative history of that whole event, and it's it's really really harrowing and. Uh, when I started talking to people about this book, you know, I, I realized that it's something that everybody, uh, you know, m most people in Texas know about this, uh, but uh, a lot of other people I talked to weren't aware uh, of this hurricane. And, it, you know, it was such a uh, such a devastating uh, storm when it happened in 1900. It killed, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Um, and it's just, a, you know, it's a great kind of place to set a climax for a novel like that, that really, yeah. you know. Uh, they, there, there are there are definitely others that have done that. Um, one of one of them that's really good is The Big Blow uh, by mm -hmm. Joe R. Lansdale. Uh, I read that in like 99 or 2000 when it came out. Um, and so when I went back and wrote this, I intentionally kind of didn't reread that. So I didn't have it fresh in my head. But then mm -hmm. I did finish it. I went back and immediately uh, reread it to make sure that I didn't just, you know, kind of pull stuff whole cloth from it for my memory. But uh, that's a really uh, excellent book, too. Okay. Patrick or Brian, yeah. when you guys want to step in? Well, I got a I got a little side path to go down with Galveston. Um okay. there is a my wife and I are big into the closest thing to horror that she'll like actively say, Hey, let's watch this is a uh, true crime. And um we saw one called Crime Scene the Texas Killing Fields and I think it's in Galveston. Uh, oh is. yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly between Houston and Galveston. Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, I didn't know much about Texas before I got heavily into like Joe Lansdale. I, I'll admit, fast if you're reading Joe. I, I admit my ignorance uh, was what led to a lot of surprise. I was like thinking it was all, you know, Wild West territory. When in reality, Wild West is many geographical locations. And Galveston, it, it kind of feels like it could be in, um, in the South Shore area of New Jersey. Uh, I mean, the Shore area, and uh, it kind of feels like that. Um, it's really creepy stuff. And then reading this book, there's I didn't know about that hurricane never heard about it so it's really neat um how different worlds collide and i know obviously joe lansdale plays in that plays in that area and uh the best blurb man is (laughs) joe's he says odd creepy funny the black lagoon meets the six gun universe you need this he's not a word he's not a man that minces words um i gotta ask how's it feel to have a, a cover blurb from joe himself astonishing because say <laughs> that i'm a that i'm a super fan um I, I wouldn't quite call myself a stalker but i'm a i'm a pretty crazy uh joe lansdale fan you know when i uh uh i i i grew up in a small town in west texas and i didn't discover his stuff um when i was you know a teenager uh, but when I moved to Dallas in the early nineties is when I first discovered Joe Lansdale on the shelf. And I, and I read some of his, uh, stories and various anthologies I found, and they always stuck out to me as, uh, you know, one, Hey, this guy's from Texas. He's writing about Texas people. And I kind of mm-hmm. know these people and Holy shit, this guy writes really weird stuff. Can you actually do this? Um, I remember, you know, the, the, the one that in probably still my favorite story of his is by bizarre hands. Um, I haven't read, I read that one. In a, uh, I, it's like a short story or honor on crack, basically. I mean, it, it's just it's insane. Um, it, it's uh, it's in one of well, it's in the collection by Bizarre Hands, but um, I okay. yeah, it's really strange. And I discovered it in one of the Borderlands anthologies, and I immediately you know started trying to figure out where I could find more of his stuff, uh, and then I moved to Austin in uh the mid 90s and there used to be a really cool bookstore called adventures in crime and space and uh willie down there had basically any anything joe had written up to that point and so i kind of started obsessively collecting all this stuff and and i've read i am pretty sure i've read everything that he's published under his name uh so uh when i you know and uh i'm i met him probably i don't know first time maybe 15 20 years ago because he always comes to armadillo con uh mm, which yeah, yeah. is our, the big con in austin and i will tell you that i was so starstruck it took me like five years before i could walk up and actually talk to him <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous now that i know him because he's like the most approachable nice you know friendly helpful guy and um but man i i, I usually don't get kind of that way but um it took me a little bit to work up to it but yeah man I, i'm just a, a super fan and, and really appreciative of that blurb oh excellent yeah um don't blame you for that uh i remember thinking uh, when he was reading i was like oh my gosh joe lansdale's <laughs> reading my book just like i would walk around thinking oh gosh what am, uh. <laughs> i know i know there's way too many variables involved but it's just i still understand how he's not as well-known in the general public as Stephen King is. He's, I would say he's just as prolific. 
he puts he's, out he's so much shit. And and there's something for everybody. I mean, you know, I, I that's he really is has you know been kind of a, a guidepost on write whatever you want to write. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I used to kind of always think, okay, is this going to be my writing this or writing that? And um, you know, it really doesn't matter. Just mix and match all those genres and whatever you know feels good to you. It's going to work for somebody else. And 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 yeah, I mean, whatever you like, Joe writes it. I mean, it's straight western, straight horror science fiction crime general weirdness you know it's all there yeah i'll say one more thing about him because of him like i i give a lot of whether i agree with stuff or not if it strikes a certain chord i i let it digest i'm slower with thinking and all that shit i guess but uh i let it digest for a little bit and joe's a lot of things he says really sticks with me but one thing in particular that i use myself is and i'm not knocking the opposing view side of it but uh he says, I'm not a uh, insert whatever writer. I'm just a writer that writes this and that. And I like that. That works for me, too. Um, he's, the, he's the first one I heard say that. Um, I think it's smart. Don't pigeonhole yourself. But again, if it's if it's not for you, it's not for you. Just like any advice. Uh, Brennan. Yeah, I think if you sit there and you start, if as a writer, you start thinking, okay, well, in the writing process, right? You start going, where am I going to market this thing or who's going to buy this then you know you start to do the whole thing a disservice you know it let it take those weird turns that the story wants to take and yeah. figure out you know who can give it a home afterwards you know just just don't you know let the weirdness uh, go right absolutely yeah. and i think you're dead on there because if you're thinking you know forget pigeonholing yourself as a horror writer or a western writer if you approach it as I'm writing a horror book, then you might get to a turn where you say, well, a horror book wouldn't do this. You know, this is this is not what horror fans want to read or a Western book wouldn't go down this avenue, introduce this, you know, monster. Uh, that's not what Western fans want to read. And truth be told, th this book reminds me of kind of that same Lansdalian idea of it's not necessarily genre blending or genre transcendence it's genre indifference and i i mean that in the most positive possible that's a way great term yeah uh, and but that's that's what exactly what this is um now having said that uh, you know what I, I got big uh thicket vibes early on um like you know come floyd's first chapter um and then of course we get you know the creature from the black lagoon like we're, we're full-on universal monster but one kind of vibe i picked up i don't even want to say genre is certainly fantasy but even more than that almost kind of a fairy tale feel and i wonder if that was something that was intentional i don't know if it was intentional but it's definitely part of like my writing dna Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that's that's part of that. If that sort of feel starts to creep in, I'm I'm definitely gonna gonna let it. You know, I, I've I have set out. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I, I write short stories uh, primarily, and I've definitely set out to write you know fairy tale retellings and that type of thing, uh, which I love. And and so you know, there are times when I've consciously done that. Um, I, I didn't consciously do that here, but I I tried to use language at least that feels very much kind of out of time if that makes sense yeah. um I, i'll i'll tell you exactly what i was trying to go with out of the gate is uh true grit um it's one of my favorite that, books. okay 
that makes sense. I'm sorry to cut you off, but when no, you no, start talking ahead. about the the children and um, just tracking them down and protecting them from the bad guys, that okay, that makes sense. That popped it's in my one head. Of my favorite wasn't books, sure. and it's a a wonderfully written book uh, from the first person viewpoint of um, basically uh, a twelve year old. I think she's twelve at the start of the book. Twelve year old girl told from the perspective of her older self basically recalling this these events that happened uh when she was a girl and the uh it, it it just flows like a boat on a smooth river i mean you just go from word one and it just kind of carries you through there um and uh, you know I, I i definitely had that in mind when i started it but um when i finished it i realized you know how much i you know the uh the one of the protagonists of my book, uh, Nelly, owes to Maddie Ross from um, from True Grit. I mean, they're they're both very headstrong and kind of you know we're we're going to take charge of this situation and you guys just kind of chill out over here and, and we're going to get this done and um, you know it, it I I definitely you know went for that uh, for that feel with it and the the best thing about True Grit is the dialogue and I tried my best to kind of get something sort of similar to that as well. And it, it's, it's not how anybody would really talk, uh, at all. Um, it's, uh, and that's, that's typically what you go for with writing anyway, right. Is you don't want to, uh, you don't want to write necessarily exactly how people talk. You don't want all the, the ums and the ahs, but what I was going for here really is kind of super stylized, uh, dialogue with it. Um, you know, not to the point of say like Deadwood, but, you know, nobody talks like they talk in Deadwood, but it's still really kick ass when they talk like that in the show. Right. So yeah. I was trying to go for something that was that, you know, kind of along those lines. And and uh, it, it's it's really fun to write dialogue like that. <laughs> well, you 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 wrote the type of you created the world. Right. And it's got to have a certain it's not it, it's historical fiction with a with a supernatural, fantastical bend. So you. You're not going to be writing like we're talking now, like you said. Yeah. And I think I think that's a good point, because when I started writing, there's a few things I remember. It was like 11 years ago where I go, well, what the fuck do I start with? And then dialogue, you know, reading it, it's really hard to figure it out at first. And I I remember I tried doing the, the realistic approach and that kind of kind of trips you up sometimes. Yeah. And I think dialogue is my favorite thing to write. Like just it, it's um, when you, when you really get it flowing kind of between two characters, it, it's a lot of fun and I'll use it a lot of times to figure out kind of where my story's going. Like there, you know, you're, you're developing story and and I think the best way to do it is just let the characters kind of drive the car. Um, and, you know, you'll kind of get to the point where you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I really want to take this person and have them interact with this person because there's, they're going to have conflict and, you know, doing that through dialogue, um, you know, it, it always sparks a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas for me and a lot of, you know, directions to take stuff. What, what yeah. came, what came first, the surname or the character with Charlie fish? Like, did you think of his last name and. I know it's what the kids created, but did you come up with that with that nickname and then go, oh, it should be, you know. I, I literally just, it was writing through there and they called him Charlie Fish. And I, I mean, I was just like, that's like the most nine-year-old little 
boy thing that he could come up with, right? Like he's he's literally a fish. And, and I've I've had some people come to me and go, "Hey, I read your book. He's literally a fish, Josh." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> like, I, it's like a dude named Charlie Fish." I'm like, "No, he's a fish." So uh, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's just I, I can just see them going, "What are we gonna What are we gonna call this guy?" You know, we we can't understand his fish language. Well, you know. We had a cat named Charlie and he's a fish. What else? You know, that's excellent. I, I, I don't know about you, but the name Albert fish jumped to mind. Cause that's the only other person with that last name that I know. Oh, um, Charlie fish is, is much, uh, much kinder than Albert fish. Yeah. yeah Charlie actually can hang out with kids <laughs> and not eat them. Um, Candace. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the sequel. You got to save something, right? Oh, <laughs> the next one's Albert fish. So, the legend of Albert Fish coming yeah. 2024. <laughs> Brennan, did you have one? I, I don't want to. Yeah, no, I'll throw one out. Um, I, I was actually kind of curious um, whether or not you employed them in this book. Uh, besides dialogue, which, by the way, is my also my favorite element of, you know, writing a Western. What are what are some of your favorite elements of Westerns? Oh gosh. Um, man, I, I just, um, I love everything about them, but you know, I, I don't want, uh, when I'm writing them, I don't want them to be, um, you know, super traditional. Like, like I, I want to take those kind of elements and turn them on their head. You know, I, mm. I don't want uh, everyone to be, Hey, this, you know, the guy came in to town and, and faces off with the sheriff and, you know, there, there's so many, um, so many, uh, I guess there's a perception of what people think of when they think of Westerns. And I want to try and, and, and turn that on their head. I mean, all the best Westerns do that. Uh, that isn't to say that I don't like, you know, uh, early Hollywood Westerns and all those. I mean, they're, they're a ton of fun. Um, but you know, my favorite book of all time is Lonesome Dove. Uh, and it's just an absolute masterpiece and you know it essentially takes uh the west and you know the romanticized version of the west and it begins to kind of take it apart right like it you um if you look at kind of our our what we see as like um our our vision of the west um it all came really from wild west shows um, you know, at the at, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, that what we think of as the Wild West was already gone and fading. Uh, but there was still kind of a thirst for it, uh, particularly uh, with people who hadn't experienced it. And so, um, you know, Buffalo Bill's show and all these other shows toured the country, uh, basically, you know, putting on dioramas and plays and orations, uh, telling what they wanted the story to be of the old West. Um, and, you know, it was, it was their one version of what they wanted to be, but it wasn't really what the old West was. And so, um, you know, all that kind of filtered into the movies and, and, you know, and, and uh, even still into what we think about what the old West is, but I really like uh, books and movies that kind of turn that on its head and give us different perspectives from different people um, and, uh, you know, gives us something a little bit more realistic of, of what it was like, you know, I guess more historical fiction than wild West. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, just off topic a little bit, I think, uh, uh, Lansdale's paradise sky is a really, really great example of just exactly yes. that. 
but uh, more it's his, to the point. It's his best novel, I think. Like, I, I, think, I, I think I think so it's too. my favorite Lansdale novel of them all. I believe he thinks so too, if I remember reading that right. <laughs> it's it's absolutely tremendous. Uh, it, it's it's one of the best westerns written in the last thirty years for sure. But that that idea of you know the difference between the kind of romanticization of the of the west uh, and what you know what we wanted it to be. I love the way that you address that and you wrote about this in the afterword, but I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more about it, uh, about that kind of balance around the year 1900 of we're about to hit this kind of like leap forward in society that's really going to separate, you know, at least the time period that we think of as the Wild West, if not the, you know, reality of it uh, from modern times um yeah i'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about how you work that into this novel yeah it's it's always fascinated me you know the that that turn of the century time period uh you know we we sort of have a vision in our head of what the the 1800s were versus what the 1900s were um as my kids love to say oh you were born back in the 1900s dad so uh but uh there there's that there's that period and, and, you know, the legend of Charlie fish takes place literally in 1900. So the characters kind of have, have cause to comment on it. Uh, but that's that, that period where we're really about to accelerate, uh, as a society, right? Like, um, at that point, uh, you know, you have automobiles beginning to appear, um, and, but you know, ever most folks are still uh, you know taking uh, taking wagons and riding horses. Uh, you have electricity, obviously, but it's not far and wide. Uh, but within not that many years, uh, you know, it'll be everywhere. Uh, you are, you know, twenty years away, less than twenty years away from airplanes, and you literally have people riding around on horses. It's just such a massing t- massive tipping point in time. Um, and the people who are living in it, you know, it, it's interesting to see how they would navigate that. I mean, I, I, it, it's akin to those of us who, you know, existed before and after the internet, right? It's just a complete change in how you live your life, uh, from, you know, this five years to the next five years. And, and so a lot of, what I've been writing lately does kind of center in that 1900, 1905 kind of area. And it's just fascinating to me. I mean, it's, I can't imagine, you know, being someone who, uh, you know, their whole life, they've uh, gone to an outhouse and used candles and ridden horses. And, you know, all of a sudden they're in their forties or something and they're flying in an airplane, uh, you know, across the country. And it's just, it's astonishing. And and it it started moving so rapidly at that point. Hmm. Uh, You know, there you're riding in a wagon and, you know, uh, less than 70 years later, you're on the moon. Yeah, it's a weird time, man. And just think about it. Like you're, I don't know the time. I, I don't know exactly when, you know, all these utility poles went up, but you also got, we're talking about the, you're, you're talking about the thirties, right? Twenties, thirties. In this, I'm talking about basically 1900 and, and there okay. like Galveston, cause you, you know, you, Galveston had electricity, but obviously not every place uh, had electricity. They literally strung electric lights along the beach uh, from poles and, 
you know, some of the businesses and houses had electricity, but most of them were still using uh, lanterns and, and, and things. Yeah. And like a half century later, you got highways. So it's very strange, man. Really weird time, I'm sure. But like you were saying with the internet, I'm the youngest one here. And I remember, I, I remember what it was like before, you know, in all aspects. And uh, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's really weird. Like I had a yeah, cell phone. Learning to live your, and... your life a different way, right? It's very weird. But I'm glad we got this because I don't know who I'd be talking to right now. Um, I think there won't be podcasts, I guess. So, yeah, I'm really glad that we got back this. and forth, right? We'd be sending letters back to each other. <laughs> uh, I, I, my, uh, my, you know, career as a short story writer definitely goes back to the days of self-addressed stamped envelopes. So you would, you know, mail your short story to magazine of fancy and science fiction and send a envelope along with the stamp on it so they could send you your rejection back in the mail so <laughs> um that actually leads right into what i wanted to ask you about next so thank you for doing half my job <laughs> happy <laughs> um so we've talked about story the character where it came from a lot of the research the time frame so let's talk a little bit about you personally and your experiences as a writer so two part question here i suppose so one can you talk a little bit about how your experiences throughout your journey has changed like you just said, how you had to send the self-addressed stamped envelopes and everything and wait for months until what we have now. And how has the industry, the, the community and the environment itself changed from when you started to where you are now, whether it was in a positive way, negative way, a mix of both? I think it's all positive. Um, you know, I, I started, like I said, I started writing when I was a kid. Um, I started submitting uh, about the year 2000. So uh, I, I wrote uh, a whole lot of crap before I, um, you know, got confident enough to start sending my stuff out. Um, and I, I think I've published about 70 stories since then. So I, I definitely started out uh, submitting to... Um, magazines and some of the you know the earliest uh webzines like uh strange horizons which is still around and uh, uh at that time sci fiction uh ellen datlow edited uh sci fiction which was the an online science fiction fantasy magazine hosted by the sci-fi channel uh and so um you know i i uh i never broke into that market but i was super persistent with it um but i um you know, I, I always kind of wrote all over the place. So I, I published in horror mags, I published in fancy mags, and it's just something I've really enjoyed. The What's um, different now is it seems like it's a lot easier to find your writing buddies and your writing community. Um, at that time, we were using message boards. So uh, there was one called Speculations that a, a lot of people hung out on. There was um, the... Uh, uh, Gosh, the shock lines message board was big back in the day. And so uh, that's where I met a lot of the folks that I still, you know, uh, uh, 
know and and uh, and hang out with today. Um, it, it's just a little bit easier now, I think, with uh, with social media being so pervasive to kind of, you know, find those people than it used to be. Uh, obviously there's a whole lot of negativity that comes with social media too. Um, and having said all that, I would say if, if, uh, I wasn't a writer, I would immediately get off every, every social media platform and never log in again. But, um, you know, it's, it's important to be able to stay connected with the writing community because, um, you know, we all love that, that, uh, support that commiseration. Hey, this is what it is to be a writer and a reader. And, um, you know, just the benefits of being able to uh, meet people who like the same things you do and write the same things you do. I, I think ultimately for me, it outweighs uh, kind of the bad side of uh, just some of the ridiculousness that occurs on on social media. Um, but I, I'm really kind of still doing the same thing that I always did story-wise. I mean, I, uh, um, I'm rarely invited into, you know, uh, closed anthologies or anything. So I'm writing stories on spec and I'm submitting it to the top magazines. I, I usually start with, um, the one that, uh, you know, kind of what would be my dream market on that, on a certain story. And then I work my way down until I find, you know, the best, uh, the best home for it. And, and, you know, thankfully I've been, um, fairly successful with it. Uh, novel writing, I, I joke and say I accidentally wrote Charlie Fish, you know, because uh, I, I, um, but I've written six or eight novels that never sold. Uh, you know, that's just kind of part of the the process, I think. Um, but uh, you know, I I, kind, I I spent so much time writing those, I kind of strayed from short stories, and so. Um, I eventually decided that, you know, short stories were something that I really loved. They weren't just a means to an end to kind of, you know, get to the point where I could publish a novel. Uh, so I think I'll always keep doing those. But I sat down one day and I thought, OK, so novellas are kind of cool. I don't uh, let me let me try and uh, maybe write a novella instead of, you know, devoting all this time to another novel. Uh, and it throughout the process just sort of grew to the point where it kind of squeaked up to the word count of a novel. And so depending on who you ask, it's either a very short novel or a very long novella. Um, again, that's one of those things that I'll just let, you know, uh, marketers figure out what they want to call it. <laughs> okay. So along those same lines, what, why do you write? Like, what makes you want to write? Do you write to entertain? Did you just want to tell stories? Is there something more than that? It's just who you are. Like, what fuels you to continue year after year after year, story after story? Like, why is it that you write? I just absolutely love it. I mean, I, you know, I feel like I'm driven to write. I, I, I've written stories literally since I learned to write. I mean, I have, you know... I talked about my fifth grade stories, but I had written, uh, I, I, I've, I'd written well before that. So there's never been a time in my life that I wasn't writing um, to the point where if I go long enough without writing, I get really anxious about it. Uh, I get kind of irritable and and I, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people who uh, writes every day. I've just never been able to, set the schedule and um 
that works great for some people. It doesn't for others. I, I think you have to kind of find, you know, what fits your reality best. Uh, but I write a lot. Um, I, I definitely write something every week, uh, usually several days a week. But if I get in those situations where, you know, life gets away from me and I've got too much going on and I look up and I haven't written anything in a couple of weeks, um, I realize, oh, that's why I'm super angsty all the time. And I can kind of sit down and start working on that. And I just sort of feel everything kind of even out in my brain a little bit. You know, I, I just... Uh, but yeah, to, the the short answer is I just absolutely love it. And, you know, I, I would write, you know, even if I wasn't uh, able to get it published. I can relate to that. Where if I don't write for a while, I get all, you know, twitchy in my head. <laughs> that's the only way I can describe it is like, I, I get really like twitchy and angsty. And I know that's what's causing it. Like I'm walking around and and I have... You know, when you're really kind of sparking on something, you'll find yourself kind of walking around, uh, just sort of staring into the distance and not really paying attention to what's going on in your life. And you'll have mm -hmm. to sort of catch up and go, oh, wait, what was I? And, you know, so all that stuff is is percolating in your head. And and that's a, an important part of the writing process. But if I let that go on too long, um, it just kind of starts to build and I'm like, you need to get in there. And, <laughs> you know, e even if I sit down and start making notes, you know, it's part of the process, but um, if I don't do it, it, you know, it, it, my brain gets itchy. I get it. Uh, we got a question from Chris Panate. I might be messing up his last name. Panate Panettiere. Um, Panettiere? I think so. Uh, he said, I finished the legend of Charlie fish. I loved it. There's a particular character death that broke me. That was probably right for the story. I won't spoil who it is. Josh knows, but I'm curious <laughs> if he struggled with the decision to kill them off. Hey, Chris, who's an awesome writer, by the way. Um, nice. I, uh, I really didn't. <laughs> um, you monster. I, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of knew that was going to happen um, from, jump i will tell you that if it wasn't for my editor at tachyon um there would have been others so uh we kind of <laughs> really? you know when I, when I first submitted uh the story um to tachyon uh it was um actually quite a bit shorter um it was a true novella i, I think the final version of charlie fish is about uh maybe 52,000 words when I first submitted it, it was 25,000 words and um I got feedback from several folks at uh Tachyon uh including my editor Rick Claw about how to uh kind of what they would like to see to improve the story and what it resulted in is an entirely second point of view uh if you read the book uh, it's alternating first person point of view. So there are two characters, Floyd and Nellie, and you go back and forth between their points of view. The original story only had Floyd's parts of the book. If you look at it still, you can get the entire plot from that section. But I think a lot of the really cool stuff comes from Nellie's section where you can really get into her head, particularly since she has what she calls her whisper talk, which sort of 
um, is her ability to kind of get into people's minds. And so you really get kind of an idea of what uh, people are thinking. So, you know, I, I owe it to the folks at Tachyon for kind of helping bring that out and making this a stronger uh, book. But Chris, they also <laughs> had me do a little retooling on the ending because I was going to be a little bit more uh, brutal than than I actually was in the book itself. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's really interesting. Um, plus, you pretty much you doubled up on your word count, which that shows you how much they believed in your initial uh, story, man. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, you know, I think it was good, but I mean, it, it's dramatically better. Uh, Nellie's by far my favorite character in the book. You know, the, the whole thing I was, you know, she was obviously already a main character, but you weren't getting it from her point of view. Um, and, you know, when, when those parts came together, it really, it really fleshed it out for me, you know, and, and, and uh, it made me understand the story a lot better uh, when I put that, like, you know, all of a sudden you've got these, character arcs where they're they're all orphans and they're kind of all hunting for the same thing and you you kind of I got some additional backstory on some of the other characters and in it, it uh um yeah it just, it just really made it a lot better yeah i really like the whisper talk um brennan or candace do you have anything before we start wrapping up i guess i would just throw in that uh w- when you when you say that <laughs> When you say that you knew that character was uh, not going to make it, uh, it, it, it sounds cold hearted, but I think most writers have been there where it doesn't mean that you, uh, you're, you're a heartless son of a bitch. It just means that <laughs> this is the way the story has to go. And yeah. man, I don't like it, but, but I've come to terms with just, this is how it's got to be. Yeah. I'm not saying I was like, you know, cheering for anybody's, you know, downfall in the book, but, um, it, you know, it was one of those where, um, you know, you can't have a perfectly happy ending in this thing. Right. Like it, I, I, I felt like that would be, that would be a cheat, you know, because it, it, the, the book is a little bit more lighthearted than most of what I write, but I would say at the very least it's, it's pretty melancholy. Uh, and I, I think that contributed to that quite a bit. Um, most of what I write is quite a bit more, uh, more grim than Charlie fish, but, uh, th- that just felt like the right tone for this one. But yeah, I couldn't, uh, couldn't let everybody escape unscathed. Certainly not. All right. Now, before we go to wrap your newest collection, uh, fantastic Americana, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could, uh, just kind of give us a little elevator pitch for it. If uh, people are looking to check out all a, a bunch of your short fiction in one place, what can they expect in this collection? Yeah, that collection is all over the place. Um, it, it, it Basically I had a short fiction collection come out about 15 years ago. That was mostly at that time, unpublished stuff, but I'd never really collected a lot of my favorite stories from uh, magazines and anthologies over the years. And so Fantastic Americana does that. Uh, it's a mix of horror, dark fantasy, sci-fi, alternate history, weird ass shit. I mean, it's it's just it runs the gamut. Uh, it's really all over. Um, if you uh, like Charlie Fish, uh, you know, I mentioned that I have a few other stories that are in that world. Uh, I don't have anything that is that crosses over with characters from Charlie Fish, but these stories kind of exist in the same place in my mind. Uh, so I have a couple of them in there. One of them is called the Guadalupe witch and one of them is called February moon. Uh, and they're two of my favorite stories and they both, um, kind of, uh, 
take place in that same alternate version of Texas that, that Charlie Fish does. Uh, there's straight up horror stories in there. Um, there's, you know, Chasing America, which uh, I published many years ago, which is basically um, Paul Bunyan on the run from giant killers named Jack throughout American history. Uh, you know, so just kind of really kind of some weird stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a fantastic Americana. It came out from uh, Fairwood Press. That's awesome. Uh, I did want to ask, how's it been like working with uh, another Lansdale, Casey? Oh my gosh, Casey's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Casey's the uh, uh, publicist for Tachyon, uh, who was uh, assigned to my book. And if I could have made time for a hundred bookstore appearances, Casey would have set up a hundred bookstore appearances. Like it was, it was really amazing. I, I uh, email her today that I, I think this is uh, my last uh, promotional thing for uh, Charlie fish. And, you know, I'm just grateful that she was so engaged with it. Uh, you know, I did uh, uh, being a short story writer. Uh, those of us who write short stories, love them. Uh, but um, you know, they, those kinds of things don't always take off like, you know, a, a novel will, I mean, novels are just more popular. And so this was really the first, uh, opportunity I had after like 20 years of writing to, to, uh, go do bookstore signings and go do podcast interviews and, you know, things like that. So, nice. um, it's just been a blast and, you know, Casey, uh, set all that up and, and, uh, uh, you know, couldn't be more thankful. Yeah, she she's absolutely wonderful. Um, all right. So where can people follow you? Uh, I'm on uh, all the the awful hated social media sites that you can name. Uh, I probably uh, am more engaged on Twitter than anywhere else, for better or worse, just because I'm connected with more folks there. Uh, it's uh, Josh underscore Roundtree. And there is no D in Roundtree. So R-O-U-N-T-R-E-E. Uh, but I'm on Instagram and, you know, whatever all the other ones are, I've, I've at least got a presence there, but I think Twitter's where I, I hang out the most. Right on. Candace. Uh, you can find me at uncomfortablydark.com as well as all the social media platforms under either my name or under uncomfortably dark. Brennan. You can follow me on sidewalks, dark alleys, or Twitter. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. One and the same, isn't that right? Like, <laughs> one of them is horrifying. It's not the dark alley. <laughs> you can follow the show at Dead Headspace. Any, you know, any of the big ones, social media. You can follow me at PR McDonough. Um, unless I'm not on the, unless I'm not on that platform, I can't talk. Um, final thoughts, Josh. Uh, thank you all for letting me be on the show. Uh, absolutely. I, I really love the opportunity. I would tell people, uh, go read, uh, short stories. They're awesome. They're still my favorite thing. I'm going to keep writing them. Yeah, they are great. Uh, Candace. Uh, thank you for your time on the show tonight um thank you for writing the legend of charlie fish because i thought it was fantastic thank you i um i like when things don't go the normal route sometimes it's it's a nice twist and it's like you don't see it i mean you're thinking oh it's gonna be a weird west western and then it just 
it's every, it's so much more. So yeah, it was it was great. So hopefully we can see you again next year and see what you have then. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm uh I'm trying to see if I can do it again. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Brennan. <laughs> I'm going to echo Candace and thank you for your time. Um, I absolutely loved my time in turn of the century Galveston. Uh, this was, like I said, a really, really cool novel. And if people have not checked it out yet, I hope that they will just because of that unexpected, uh, we're going to bring back the term genre indifference and the fact that it just makes the avenues that a story can go unlimited. Um, I would also like to throw out that your uh, initial uh, what got you into writing, what got you into reading, you threw out Encyclopedia Brown and that did not go unnoticed. Big <laughs> Nobody shout out knows to Encyclopedia Brown anymore. Oh, I know you. Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just say that it, it's a fun novel. Um, I'm wondering what it would have been like if, if you were just completely untethered with all those... Uh, murders <laughs> but <laughs> check out the legend of charlie fish we're gonna do a giveaway that goes along with this uh this episode uh josh was kind of enough to sign um a copy sent in my way for one of you lucky listeners um i just want to thank you for your time it, it was really neat finding out a few more things uh behind the scenes of this book um it like I said, it kind of expanded this this small town in Texas that I randomly keep finding media material on, and uh, it was really it was interesting. Um, I hope you you do explore this universe again because, like I said, it's fun, and you could probably get away with a lot of different things in here. Like I, I did pick up on how you dropped like uh, dime novels, for example, and I'm like, that's I appreciate little details like that like you don't have to notice them but you can and that's why i like well-written historical fiction um and i think you did a good job that's probably why joe loved it well thank you so much yeah i'm definitely you know seeding little things in there and, and planning other stuff in in this world so uh hopefully that'll see the light of day absolutely everybody have many choices in the podcast thank you for picking up